Hello and welcome to episode number nine of the Uphill Goat. This is your host, Andrew Conover. Not the greatest of all time, but good. Um, today was my first day back on the bike since December 3rd, which was a little bit exciting and fun. I'm down here for a team camp in St. George. And so it was cool to see how my training for skiing has, how it would transfer over to biking and also to see how my skills were, because I haven't really been on tough mountain bike trails in a while. And so we didn't ride anything too crazy today, but it was a solid ride. I was also really curious how my my training without eating would transfer over to biking. On my ski tours, I've been trying to not eat as much as possible. Also, sorry, I have the hiccups, so hopefully those go away soon. But so as far as this, the skiing, yeah, I've been able to do pretty well on three, three and a half hour ski tours with no food, which I've been really happy with. And it hasn't, I've been able to, hasn't affected my performance a lot. The reason why I'm doing that is because it's training my body to use its fat sources for fuel rather than carbs, which is 15 to 18 times more efficient and it can be trained so that you can do it at a higher intensity, which I don't know if you can train it to where you can actually do it in a cross-country race because it's so short, but for anything that's over two hours, it can be super, super benef- beneficial. And so I've been playing around with that. And so I didn't really bring that much food on a ride, and we ended up riding for almost three and a half hours, mostly in zone two, and but with a lot of pedaling. We were riding pretty flat trails that didn't have steep enough downhills where you could actually coast. And so it was, it's different than ski touring in, in that there's less stop time and a more consistent, sustained effort. With ski touring, you have transitions at the top and bottom where you stop. The downhill is pretty different than the uphill. And, and on the uphill, oftentimes you have kid turns, other things that kind of just lead to stop time which makes it easier. But on the bike, you're pretty consistently putting out power and effort throughout the entire time. And so I was able to do great for the first two and a half hours, which I'm pretty happy with. I think that's solid and definitely a lot better than where I was any time, probably where I've ever been in my life, where I've been able to sustain a solid effort for two and a half hours without any food. And after that I did, I, I took a like a little fruit uh, kind of strip thing, just like mango and banana. And it was good, but still not enough. When I finished, I was very hungry. And I ate a strip waffle, and then the guy we were here with got us a bunch of fried chicken, which I would not recommend. Not a good, not a good thing to eat generally, but it, it was good. <laughs> it tasted good, and I needed a lot of calories, so that was great. And refueled. And so hopefully, I think I'm on track to continually to build my, my body's ability to burn fat. And there's a lot of interesting science supporting this. You can go and look it up. Tillian Journey, who's one of the best sky runners and schema racers in the world, um, has been doing this for a long time. And that's kind of when, one of the reasons why I've started trying to do it more and more intentionally. When I started biking, I kind of do it on accident sometimes, but I just not really beating, breeding food and right for a long time. But it's, uh, it's something that I'm curious, I'm, I'm curious to see how it's going to continue to play out throughout 
future racing and my future training over the next several years. And hopefully it will be helpful and can continue to develop to where I can, you know, ride for three and a half hours rather than two and a half and be burning fat and not have to worry about food or bringing or restoring my carbohydrates because I'll be burning a much more efficient source. So, but what we did for our ride is we started at a house in Hurricane and rode up to the rim trail, the Hurricane Rim Trail, and rode that up and around to where it connects to Gem. And then we rode down Gem, and then we did a lap on the six hours of Frog Hollow course, or the twelve hour, or the twenty-five hours of Frog Hollow course. It's pretty much the same thing. And then we went and rode the other side of the rim around and back to the road and, and home. And so it ended up being about thirty-five miles with. 3,300 feet climbing, and like I said, a little less than three and a half hours. And so it was fun. I was with three other boys in our group, and then there was another big group with a bunch of girls and a few adults. And so we had a lot of, we had a good time riding together. We had one mechanical, one of them got a flat. Um, but other than that, it was great. It was nice to be able to be on single track again with fairly warm weather. It was like mid-50s most of the day, which is great for mountain biking. And so that worked out really well. And then after we ate lunch, which was late at like 3.30, we then went to the bike park in Santa Clara, which, which is really great. It was really awesome to be able to work on our skills and our cornering and our jumping and our drops. There's a big drop at the Fayetteville, Arkansas race, the pro CT that a lot of these kids will be going to. And then I might go to as possible that that's something I'll throw on the calendar, but definitely undetermined at the time. And so there's at the Santa Clara bike park, it's kind of split into different sections. There's like a pump track, there's dirt jumps, and then there's like a drop section and like different type of jumps. And it's super great for working on skills. And so there's a lot of us at this drop and there's, there's, there's two sets of drops and they both have two options. One that's bigger than the other. And on the second one, the left, the bigger one, is fairly big. And I decided just to hit it blind. I know I had done it before. And I was really happy with just how comfortable it felt. It didn't feel big. It didn't feel that difficult. And I just hit it first try without even looking at it, which I think is good progress. I think that in some ways my skiing has also helped with my cornering, which is super awesome. I was noticing that while... I was on my ride today as well that as I was kind of going through specifically flatter corners that didn't have much of a berm, I was able to just lean into it more efficiently and with greater trust in my tires because it's such a similar motion to a ski turn. And so I was really happy with that as well. And I was really happy with how comfortable everything felt, um, even though I hadn't done it in a little bit. So it's kind of cool how those skills can stay and even improve with with a little bit of break and, and, and cross training. So we spent some time at the bike park. We tried to get a few of the girls to hit the bigger drops. I think just one did finally hit the big drop and we had some fun there, which is great. And I think honestly, one of the best ways to improve your skills is through a pump track. It's interesting how, when you can figure out how to ride a pump track without pedaling, you can really apply it in so many places on the trail. 
which is super awesome. So if you're looking to improve your skills, the number one thing I would say that's the most applicable is to go to a pump track and learn how to ride it faster and keep doing it over and over and over again and you will become a better rider. You'll get faster at both the downhill and the uphill because you'll what it teaches you is how trails work and how you can actually navigate through them the fastest. The other thing I was thinking about today while I was on my ride is mechanicals. Oftentimes people will have their goals ruined because of a mechanical. This happened to me when I was a freshman. I was I had done pretty well every region race. I moved up my first race. I got ninth, then eighth, then fourth, then third. And at state champs, I was I was there to win. I knew I had it in me, and I was super excited. Lined up and we went. And me and one other rider, Connor Lacey, we dropped the rest of the field in the first climb. It was just a two-lap race. I was a freshman. It was small. And so it was – and then at the very, at the top of the first lap, we had a solid gap. Like at this point, it was either me or him, right? There was only one lap to go. We were both feeling fine, and there was no one else behind us. And right at the top of the state course here in St. George, I shifted into my easiest gear to go up the steep punch, and it went all the way into my spokes, which broke a spoke, which gave me a flat tire – and then later on, I snapped my chain. It was just all a mess. My bike basically exploded. And I ended up getting dead last with two five-minute penalties. And by the time I got everything fixed, everyone had already finished the race. And so I just kind of went and did a lap to finish, which was really, really hard for me, really sad. And it's interesting how there's certain riders who have very little to no mechanicals. And what I've been observing is that People usually like to say that the mechanical wasn't their fault or that they just got unlucky or whatever. Well, they just, it's an excuse. And certainly sometimes it is. Sometimes it is just bad luck when you get a mechanical. But a lot of times, flat tires, snap chains, the common mechanicals you see in a race are really manageable and they're easy to avoid. I think Nino Scherter is a really good example of this. He almost never gets mechanicals. Like, it's so rare to see Nino Scherter have a bike problem. And I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, he has a really good mechanic and his bike's always pristine, right? That's for sure going to help. But number two is that he knows how to ride his bike and specifically how to race his bike in such a way that he's not going to break it. He rides smooth, he chooses good lines, he shifts smoothly, he avoids the problems that are going to lead to a broken bike, which is so crucial in a race situation. And what we see all the time is that kids get excited. I've done this so many times too. You get excited on race day and you ride your bike differently. And because you're riding it differently, you charge harder, you take bad lines, you shift under pressure, and it puts the bike in a lot of stress that's going to increase the likelihood of having a mechanical. But if you can slow, not slow down, but if you can just simply ride smart, ride more normally, then you can avoid a lot of the mechanicals that can completely ruin your race or your season. And 
So that's something to keep in mind when, when you're nervous and when you're in a short XC race and you just want to go full gas the whole time. Still keep in mind that you have some control over your mechanicals. And if you ride smart, you're going to increase the likelihood that you can have a smooth, clean race. And so back to Nino Schurter, I remember there was a World Cup, I think it was last year, where he got a flat tire and his Instagram caption was, I'm sorry, I made a bad line choice. Because he understands that it was his fault, right? He chose a risky line choice that led to a flat tire, which people don't think about. Most people would say, oh, it was a bummer. I was feeling good and I got a flat tire, right? And it wasn't their fault. But oftentimes it is. And I've had, I've had the mechanicals in some of the biggest races of my life where one well, at my first two national championships, I had mechanicals that took me out of the race. Um, before my mission in 2019 in Winter Park, Colorado, I came around a corner. Again, I, like this was about half through the lap after the fast fully descent. You make a sharp right-hand turn. And again, I'm excited. I'm ripping. I'm, I had a really great start to the race. I was feeling good. I felt like there was something big going to happen that day. And so... What do I do? I pedal harder than normal. And what do I do? I, sh- I shift while I'm pedaling harder than normal, which is dumb. That's not what you should do. It's not what I would normally do in training. And so what happened? I snapped my chain. Obviously, there could have been other things that led to this as well, but I think the vast majority of it was my fault. And it led to a devastating day where so much work and so much effort and intent and focus and sacrifice somewhat went down to the drain. Obviously, I still learned a lot from that day and I'm grateful for that experience, but I wasn't able to have a good race because of a poor decision, because of a a poor race day decision, because we don't make as good of decisions on race day with those kinds of things. And so you have to be intentional about riding smooth. Another example, this one was kind of more just, this this is more an example of really bad luck where I was in Snowshoe, West Virginia for my national championship in 2018. And I had a a brand new bike. Everything was dialed. And I had a pretty, I was racing well, not phenomenally, but enough to hopefully get a top 20 finish, which I would have been happy with. And on the first lap again, I just came around a corner, a nice burn corner. But this was one where I just happened to lean into a rock with my rim and and it broke it and, and gave me a flat tire, and which took me out of the race. And so, but again, that one maybe could have been a time where I could have been more aware of the berm. I remember, I think it, I was listening to a podcast or reading, maybe it was just an Instagram or a social media post from a professional athlete talking about the Mont Saint-Anne course in Canada and how, I believe it was Nino Schroeder again, who... who he studied the track meticulously, they said. Every inch of the track he knew. So he would have known where that rock was and he would have known to go higher on the berm or lower on the berm to not hit that rock. And I think that's the difference sometimes between the good and the best is that specific heed to details that's going to end up leading to smoother line choices less mechanicals, and overall more successful races that don't, that, and, and then your training doesn't just get thrown down the drain by 
by also crashes, I think crashes can be the same way as this. So crashes or mechanicals. And so I think it's super important as you're lining up to race or as you're pre-riding to really think about, okay, what would it be like to race this? Where where can I just go and, and give it everything? Where do I need to be intentionally careful? Where do I need to make sure I'm choosing smooth lines and shifting well? And so that I can stay on my bike and so that my bike can stay put together and not have any problems. So those are some thoughts I was having today as I wore some mechanicals and as I was riding and thinking about how I can be smoother. And I think that's something I want to focus on a little bit over these next couple of weeks is being a smooth rider so that I can avoid those mechanicals. And obviously I'm not going to be biking over the next couple of weeks. I'll ride tomorrow again and then I'll be back to skiing for the next few months. And so... But I think this is something I'm going to want to keep in mind once I do start biking in the spring, that I'm going to want to intentionally be smooth. And I think that where I live in Provo, there's lots of good opportunity to practice this because the trails are steeper and more raw and more difficult to ride. So as you're riding, as you're getting out and getting on single track, as we go into warmer weather and spring comes up, think about how you can be more careful. And when you do get a mechanical... Think about if it was bad luck or if there was something you could have done to prevent it. And if there was something you could have done to prevent it, think about that and practice riding smoother so that you don't have those problems. So thanks for listening. This was your host, Andrew Conover. Hope you have a good time going uphill.